into the wrong spot. We are beginning a new book. So we finished the book of Proverbs. And I see a few faces that are kind of newer to the evening service. And so what we typically do in the evening is kind of a hybrid teaching, preaching. So there's time for interaction, commenting, jeering, all those sorts of things, uh, <laughs> questions and answers. We're going to begin the book of 1 Timothy, Paul's letter to Timothy. If you're using the church Bible, it's on page 1177. 1 Timothy. Uh, in discussion with the council, the reason we picked this book at this time is the council, uh, actually a, uh, uh, an ad hoc committee worked on the bylaws and made proposals for how to revise our church bylaws, recommended those to the council, and the council went over those and adopted uh, some revised bylaws. Our bylaws had been adopted, I believe, in 1990, and there was a variety of things like one uh, line said, uh, in, er in, in areas that aren't spelled out in the bylaws, uh, we just defer to whatever the CRC Book of Order says, which is in the back of the CRC hymnals. But we kind of went around the table at the council and said, has anyone even looked at those in the last 25, 30 years? And uh, I probably Dan has, but the rest of us had no clue what we had bound ourselves, you know, our bylaws were even binding us to. So it was apparent it was time to update the bylaws. And so that was good, mostly non-controversial, but there are around a few issues. What are the roles of elders and deacons? Uh, who can hold what office in the church? Some of those questions we realized, even on the council, we weren't totally on the same page. We weren't totally even sure what to think about it. And so we thought, uh, let's work through some of the main books that talk about church life, what church is meant to be, at, uh, wrestling with some of these questions, because as a church, we operate always under God's word. And so when we're unsure, we turn to God's word as our guide. So First Timothy, that's what we're beginning, an opportunity to reflect on the life of the church, what good order in worship and polity looks like, and what the mission of the church is. Uh, in the ancient world, the opening of letters was very formalized. Just like in the modern world, ancient, uh, letters are pretty formal. Uh, how about any of our students? How do you, if you're setting up a formal letter, what does that look like? What are some of the elements? Or adults? Greeting? greeting? Generally greeting? I'm thinking even more formal than that. You do something like the date in the top left corner, your address, dear so-and-so, letterhead. letterhead. You got, if you're official, yeah, some letterhead. And then where do you usually say who it's from at? Yeah, down at the very end, sincerely, blah, 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 warm regards, that kind of thing. In the ancient world, letters began like this. Author's name, recipient, who it's to, and then a greeting. And sometimes that could be very short, three or four words. Uh, but we're going to see those elements all here in 1 Timothy 1. And we're just looking at the first two verses, just to get our orientation to the letter tonight. But what we see is that in Paul, that standard greeting is not just four or five words long, but it has been thoroughly Christianized and expanded to get some of his central themes already set up in the letter let me read now 1 Timothy 1 and just the first two verses. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray.
Lord, uh, as we look into your word and we study it together, we ask that you would open our eyes to see the glorious truths in your word, open our hearts, and by your Holy Spirit, speak your truth to each one of us. May we be encouraged where we need encouraged, challenged where we need challenged. May our thinking be sharpened where it needs sharpened. All through your holy word. Amen. Okay, so we see the standard elements. Who is this letter from? No trick questions, don't worry. Paul, who is it to? Who is mentioned most frequently in these opening verses? Jesus, Jesus. isn't that interesting? Okay, it's from Paul, it's to Timothy, and yet a third party is the person mentioned most frequently. In fact, you have Christ Jesus, God our Savior, Christ Jesus, God the Father, Christ Jesus our Lord. Five references to God and Christ. Well, let's begin at the beginning. Paul. Who is Paul? Well, we know all sorts of things about Paul, but what he identifies, actually, before we do that, what kinds of things, this is a letter from Paul to Timothy, what kind of background information might you like to have to get a little bit of handle on this? Yeah, or sure, just anything to make sense of this letter. Yeah, who Paul is, who Timothy is. What other questions might we have? What's their relationship? What's happening in history, in larger history? Where are they? Where are they? What, uh, you know, what's the main issue? Okay, uh, what's interesting though is that Paul primarily doesn't focus on those things. There's all kinds of biographical information about him and Timothy that he doesn't tell us, but what he tells us is about their relationship to Christ Jesus, both of them. That's what he says is most important. Okay, that was a trick question that you should get to your questions, but Paul says he's an apostle. An apostle simply means sent, and in the, or, or one who is sent. And in the New Testament, it is used both in a sort of casual sense and as a technical term referring to an office. In the casual sense, it means someone who is sent, a messenger, someone who bears a message. In the technical sense in the early church, it, it is a messenger, one who is sent, but it's specifically those who were eyewitnesses to Christ Jesus himself. So the 12 apostles were Jesus' followers who knew him during his life. They saw him after his death and resurrection, and they were sent to bear the message about him around the world. Does anyone remember from Acts, did, or, or maybe the Gospels too, did Paul follow Jesus around during his ministry? When did Paul see Jesus? On the road to Damascus, he has this vision. Uh, that the risen Jesus confronts him. Of course, all kinds of people have all kinds of visions, but what's interesting is Paul saw Jesus and said, I've been called to be an apostle. Here I've been commanded. And it's interesting, no one else in the early church, as far as we can tell, ever questioned that. Okay, Peter never says, well, you're not really a real apostle, right? Or James doesn't say, you know, keep quiet at the Council of Jerusalem. You, you, you weren't with Jesus back in the day. Uh, none of that. There's no questioning by any of the other apostles. They affirm that he has seen the risen Jesus. Yeah, Chris. One other thing he established was his authority. There's going to be a lot of commands that come. He establishes from whom his authority comes. Yeah. Immediately from Christ Jesus. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Just to repeat in case you it didn't hear Chris, um, is he's establishing right away. He's not just writing his own advice. He's not saying, I've pastored a lot of churches and here's some, here's some nifty tips, uh, Timothy, to help things run smoothly. 
He's saying, I'm writing to you as an apostle, as a designated, authorized messenger of Christ Jesus, who is commanded to speak on his behalf. Uh, and we'll come to this point actually several times in the letter, but just to set it up now, um, Paul, as an apostle, is writing to Timothy, who is serving as an overseer in Ephesus. And one of the things he tells Timothy is to appoint elders and deacons in the church. Now, some church traditions, notably the Roman Catholics, look at that and say this is an ongoing pattern for the way churches should be set up. Okay? Apostles, then, in the line of the apostles, you have the Pope, who's sort of the successor to Peter, and on down the list, you have the, the, the Pope and the bishops, and they appoint the priest in individual areas, and so it's top-down. Uh, what we're going to say consistently, and, and keeping with our polity, is, or our, our polity develops an alternative interpretation, is that the apostles were eyewitnesses to Jesus, they bore his message throughout the ancient world, but when those apostles died off, they weren't replaced by new apostles. Okay, so anytime you see someone that uh, is claiming to be an apostle in the modern world, you should be uh, skeptical, to say the least. Uh, or, or, or just don't even give them the time of day, is what Paul's going to say later in this letter. Uh, ignore empty babbling. Um, so so the, what it means then in the Nicene Creed when we say that we believe in a holy apostolic church isn't that we believe in a series of apostolic successions that Paul laid his hands on Timothy, who laid his hands on whoever, who laid his hands on, you know, on down the list, but rather we're saying that we believe the church is founded on the witness of the apostles, which is contained in the New Testament. So to be an apostolic church is simply to be a biblical church, grounded on the apostles' message. We'll come back to that several times through the letter, but is that tracking so far? Okay. At least for Nate and Craig, it's tracking. <laughs> Thanks, guys, for the head nods. Um, so Paul is an apostle of Christ Jesus. He's sent by Christ to carry his message. Uh, Christ Jesus, it uh, puts Christ first just to remind us it's not his last name, but it's saying Messiah Jesus, the anointed one who came to fulfill Israel's longings and hope, that Jesus. And so uh, Paul is an apostle of Christ Jesus. Christ is both his master and his message. That's what it means to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. Christ is his master who sends him. Christ is his message that he bears. How did Paul get this job? He tells us here in verse 1. By command. Yeah, there's no civil service exam or something like that that leads to being an apostle. It's by command. Specifically by command of God our Savior and of Jesus Christ, our hope. Now again, there's a lot about Paul's biography that we might want to know, and the book of Acts fills in some of that, but there's a question about where does these letters to Timothy fit in? Is it after the end of the book of, of Acts? Um, that seems to be the, at least Eusebius in the, in the fourth century, that's what he says, is after the book of Acts, Paul is released from prison, he does some more missionary work, he's imprisoned again, and that kind of straightens out the timeline. There's, there's questions like that, but what Paul says we fundamentally need to know is not his biography, not what city he's writing from, but what we need to know is his relationship to God, that he is working at the command of God the Savior and Christ Jesus our hope. God calls him into service. Now in that little phrase, there's a few things packed in. Notice that the, it's not just the command of God, but it's the command of God 
and of Christ Jesus, our hope. Okay, God, our Savior, Christ, our hope. Uh, a couple comments here. Um, first, God, our Savior. Uh, Paul actually refers to God as our Savior more frequently than he refers to Christ as our Savior. That's not to say Christ isn't our Savior. Uh, Jesus, you know, the name is related to the word salvation, okay? So I'm not denying that Jesus is our Savior. But I think sometimes as Christians, we can tend to have this idea that God is the impartial judge off up there somewhere, and Jesus is the Savior who comes here to make us right with God. But that's not the way Paul talks about it. He says God is our Savior. God is the one who saves us at work through Christ Jesus. And this gets us to the central issue, or, or, or another thing here, is we can't drive a wedge between God and Jesus. Or if we do drive a wedge between God and Jesus, we are not true to the Bible. In Scripture, as here, we see that the single command and authority is shared by these two persons, God and Christ Jesus. There's both unity of the two, that they issue one command, speak with one voice, and yet they are distinguished at the same time. It's not fully developed doctrine of the Trinity, and yet we see that the, um, the materials, the raw materials to build the doctrine are here. That the persons commonly speak a command to Paul, and yet at the same time they're distinct. That God is our Savior, how does he save us? By working through Christ Jesus. And so we have to say both this man, Jesus, God is at work in him, but also what is God like? He's like Jesus. Look at the Gospels. That's what God is like. When God comes and walks around on earth, that's what it looks like. And so it tells us what God's eternal character is like. So uh, the point I'm trying to say here, if, if I'm not making it explicitly enough, is don't have some shadowy thoughts that there's some God out there somewhere that we don't really know and who's maybe cross with us and then Jesus is intimate with us. No, Jesus shows us what the God who creates and sustains and is behind all things looks like. God our Savior, Christ Jesus our hope. And of course that language, God our Savior, is picking up from Exodus this morning. See the Lord's salvation. God is our Savior. Uh, the next question I have for discussion is why is Paul's apostolic office important? But we kind of already touched on that with a, a Chris, Chris beat me to it with the comment there. That it's, it's establishing that he's not speaking on his own, his own, but he's speaking as an authorized witness. Okay, verse 2. It's to Timothy. The letter's to Timothy. Uh, that's still confusing. There's another letter called to Timothy. This one is written to the man Timothy. Uh, sorry, I'm getting a little goofy here. Uh, Acts 16, we first meet Timothy. Acts 16, 1 through 5. Paul came to Derby, I suppose it said, and to Lystra, a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek and apparently not a believer. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him and took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. And they went on their way through the cities. They delivered uh, to them... Uh, for observance, the decisions that have been reached by the apostles, that's going back to the council at Jerusalem uh, and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. Okay, so Paul comes to the city of Lystra. There's a young man there named Timothy. Everyone speaks well of him. And we're actually going to see that comes up in appointing elders and deacons, that people who are well spoken of, they're already doing good work in the church, that they're 
faithful people are designated for office in the church, and, and Timothy is spoken of well. And so Paul says, look, I want to take you on as an intern to go on a missionary journey with me and do this work with me, and there's just one condition. I need to do a minor surgery first. Okay, who's going to sign up for this uh, internship if that's the condition? Well, Timothy doesn't balk, and uh, apparently, at least as far as we know, uh, is willing to be circumcised so that he doesn't cause offense to the Jews and travels with Paul. Uh, and Timothy, uh, if you look at the beginning of other letters, Timothy is a contributor to 2 Corinthians, so Paul says it's from Paul and Timothy, to Philippians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians. So he not only receives the 1 and 2 Timothy letters, he also is a contributor to five letters in the New Testament. And from Acts and these letters, we can gather a few things about him. We know that he is still relatively young. Okay, so in, in 4, chapter 12, or sorry, chapter 4, verse 12, Paul says, Let no one despise you because of your youth. And in 2 Timothy 2.22, Paul tells Timothy, Flee youthful passions. Okay, there's certain passions more peculiar to youth, certain passions more peculiar to old age. If he's in his late teens or early 20s when he joined Paul in the book of Acts, that puts him now probably in his mid-30s. And some of you are saying that doesn't seem that young. But Irenaeus, the second century theologian, says 30 is the first stage of a young man's age and extends to 40, as all will admit. Okay, I don't know if I'll still admit that today, but I'll take it. 30 to 40, you're still in the first stage of being a young man. Okay, good enough for me. Uh, uh, so anyways, uh, my, the serious point is that um, uh, uh, in the ancient world, someone in their 30s could still be considered relatively young, looked down on. So we know that he was young. He seems to be perhaps temperamentally shy. So Paul warns him in 2 Timothy 1.7, God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And in one of the letters to the Corinthians, he tells the Corinthians to make uh, Timothy at home when he comes to them. It seems like maybe Timothy was a bit of a timid person. And he was apparently given to frequent illness. So in 523, uh, a little bit later in the letter, Paul, it's, we'll get there and we'll comment on it then. It's just in this aside, in the middle of a paragraph, he tells Timothy, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. So apparently he tended to be somewhat sickly. And yet this young, temperamentally shy, timid, and at times sickly man is chosen by God to serve as a minister in Ephesus and as Paul's companion. Paul identifies him as my true child in faith. Uh, this word true can mean something like legitimate. Uh, and so Paul has this paternal attitude towards him, a fatherly attitude, my true child, but also a brotherly attitude. So in these letters that Timothy contributed to, Paul identifies him as Timothy, my brother. And in Philippians 1.1, he says, my fellow servant, Timothy. So Paul looks at him not just as sort of a son, but also as a brother and also as a co-worker. And so what we have here in the book of Timothy, 1 Timothy, is a somewhat intimate conversation between Paul the apostle and Timothy, this pastor in Ephesus, giving instructions for the local church. And yet, as we'll see as we go throughout, even the fact that Paul begins by saying, I'm an apostle, 
it's clear that it's not just a letter written to Timothy alone, but is meant for more public use as well. So it's to Timothy, but Timothy's also supposed to read it to the larger church so they can see that Timothy's acting in accordance with Paul's instructions. Uh, both Augustine in the 5th century, Aquinas in the 13th century, uh, re referred to this as a pastoral epistle. And so 1st, 2nd Timothy and Titus get called pastoral epistles. That is to say, they're letters concerning pastoral issues, pastoral matters. And certainly that does seem to be the case. As we go through the book of Timothy, we're going to see that it concerns pastoral care and oversight in the local church, specifically in matters of doctrine, public worship, qualifications for leadership, how to exercise local leadership, the social responsibilities of the church, and how the church should use its material possessions. That's basically an outline of what's coming up. Curious, as I uh, read over that list again quickly, do any of these stand out to you as like, yeah, that's something I have some questions about for our own church and our own day? Doctrine, public worship, qualifications for leadership, how to exercise local leadership, social responsibility, and how to use material possessions. Uh, do some of those stand out or maybe related questions that you might have? Uh, this is not rhetorical. Genuinely, if you have things that helps me know where to narrow in, uh, that strike your ear, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to know. Yeah, Gian. Um, just thinking about the fact that Paul and older, older in the Lord, yeah. physically, disciple Timothy. Yeah. And took him under his wing and yeah. brought him alongside. That life-on-life -life relationship that shapes, shapes Timothy. Yeah. could use some, uh, uh, what do you call it, some staining, uh, renewal, refurbishing, that's the word, thank you Austin. Uh, our missionaries could use more money. There's always uh, tensions between how do we allocate our resources as a church uh, and as individuals. Yeah. So how does the church accomplish this? How do we work out good doctrine and stay faithful to biblical doctrine? How do we exercise orderly public worship and appoint qualified leaders, exercise local leadership, social responsibility, use our material possessions well. It sounds like a lot. And yet what Paul tells us here in this final line of the greeting is what we need is grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace, we need God's ongoing daily forgiveness and his enabling gifts. Mercy, we need God's sympathy, his concern, his coming alongside us. And then we need peace, not the kind of peace we manufacture by either um, just ignoring you know, people who are saying things that are untrue. Paul's going to say, no, you do have to confront false doctrine. Nor the kind of peace that comes when you kind of clobber everyone into line that like, you all need to get in line with what I say, that kind of a thing. No, it's not a manufactured peace, but the peace that comes from above. So true peace in the church, true tranquility and stability in the church is a gift from God the Father and from Christ Jesus our Lord, the Messiah 
who came to fulfill the promises to Israel, who gave his life to redeem Israel, who is Jesus our Savior, but who is also our Lord who rules the church. So Paul opens this letter to 1 Timothy with an astoundingly God-centered, Christ-centered agenda. Okay? He's saying what's most important is not me as an apostle, it's not you as a pastor, it's not the local church. What's most important is God our Savior, God our Father, Christ Jesus our Lord. That, that needs to be the central focus. That needs to be the animating principle and power of church life. And if you don't have that squared away to start with, everything else is going to go amiss down the road. Okay, that's, that's 1 Timothy, the start. The first two verses of 1 Timothy. We'll do larger chunks beyond this, but it's good to get the letters set up well. Uh, let's turn now to our time of, of, of prayer. Are there requests?